Hello, everyone. This is W, host of the High Art on the Edge page. Welcome to another amazing, scintillating episode of Surprise Cast, where you will always be educated and entertained. Are you ready for some cool facts? Did you know that the Battle of Gettysburg took place in Pennsylvania? Philadelphia was the leader in industrial production, especially in manufacturing. The city was the world's largest and most varied manufacturer of textile. Did you know that my parents both went to Penn State, home of the Nittany Lions? But did you also know that Pennsylvania is home to some of the most important musicians, band artists, such as Patti LaBelle, Pink, Taylor Swift, The Ocean Blue, and of course, the shimmery jangly band, Riverside. They've been going strong with a little break here and there since the early 90s. I first laid my eyes on their work on that magical MTV show called 120 Minutes. Well, guess what? They're here to have a conversation. Why? They want to talk about a new old album and something to do with Kickstarter, plus being life as musicians and much, much more. So... Grab yourself a good drink, pull up a good seat, and enjoy my conversation with the dreamy band, Riverside. Hola, gentlemen. Hello. Hey. Hey, guys. Hello. Hey. I want to go back in time a little bit, and I'm going to start with, why don't you introduce yourself, tell us what you do in the band, and I'm going to ask you this question. Keith, we're going to start with you. Tell me about a childhood experience, positive or negative, that was deeply memorable and still affects you as a person you are today. Probably why I'm here with you today, it's music-related. Just seeing my uncle. He was my father's much younger brother. He's, I think he's about 15 years older than Glenn and I, 16 years. But seeing him perform when we were younger, he had a guitar. He had a basement with a bunch of equipment. This is kind of like, I guess, early to mid-80s at that point. And he was definitely a big influence on why I decided to, to buy a guitar. And just you know, seeing someone that close to us in a band and uh, writing music. So that still stays with me today. We're still close with him. He still comes to see us from time to time. But, uh, you know, huge, huge, huge impact on me. And Keith, can you tell us what your role in, is in the band? The singer and a guitar player. Great. Let's shift on over to Glenn. Can you tell us about a childhood experience that was impactful, memorable? Absolutely. Same thing about my uncle Greg. He was the biggest influence for us to be involved in music when we were younger. We grew up in a household full of music. My parents had records and CDs. My dad had a big hi-fi. But my father was 17 or 16 years old older than his youngest brother. So his youngest brother was closer in age to us than our father. He was a musician, played local gigs. And Keith and I would go, Keith's my brother, obviously, we would go hear him in his basement and hear a, a reel-to-reel, like a, a half-inch reel-to-reel. And it was fascinating. Like, what is this? Music? And he guitars in his basement. And he was almost like an extra older brother. We had an older brother, but an extra older brother for us. And he had a, he had a 
that, that cool red Gibson, whatever, half a Holly body. I mean, yeah. I don't know if he still has that Keith or whatever. He still has it. Yep. He'd play that and we'd be in his basement and between you and me and the, the podcast world, we're 16 and sneak us a beer or listening to music. Yeah. And, and he's playing, he's playing so- songs he recorded. And we were like fascinated and our minds were blown at that point. Like, and we were like musicians from that point on for sure. Thank you, Glenn. Oh, and by the way, Glenn, can you tell us what you do? What's your role in the band? Bass, little background vocals. Thank you. David, what about you? Tell us about an experience that was memorable. So I would say that music was always on in our household, record player. I have an older brother, sister by about eight, seven years. And so I was always listening to their 45s, whatever they had hanging around. It was everything from like the Bay City Rollers to Earth, Wind & Fire. I remember, and I was just talking with Tim about this, when I got to be about eight or nine, probably just hung out by the radio with a tape deck waiting for like my favorite song to come on just so I could record it because of course you couldn't download anything yet at that, you know, back in the day, we just had to record it on the cassette. So men at work would come on and hit record. Maybe I'd miss the beginning and I'd try again. So that kind of thing. And I play in the band. I play guitar. Thank you, David, for sharing. Tim, what about you? Describe an impactful childhood experience, please. You know, there's, there's not, one experience that stands out as a young child. I would say that my mother really taught me how to love music. She she wasn't a musician, but she really, really loved Billy Joel and and would sing Billy Joel songs like all the time. So I have most Billy Joel songs memorized because as a child, you know, and I have lots of pleasant memories of my mom cooking and like using the spoon as a microphone and you know, so just growing up around that and really just I kind of her joy that she emanated when she would sing. And so I kind of grew up loving music because of that. And then seeing uh, my first drum set, I was in fourth grade at a sleepover and we went down to the basement to play video games. And there was a drum set down there. And the kid whose house where I was said, you know, that's my brother's drum set. Don't touch it. And and but of course, I went behind and was like, you know, doom with the toms and was just like this is what i want to do and so it really is what i've done with the rest of my life <laughs> it's kind of sad that i was <laughs> simple brain but it was <laughs> i was pretty much done right then so so it's always been what i've loved extending this question and then t- tim did you take drum lessons while growing up i i didn't no i, I taught myself to play the drums and built my first drum set out of like tin cans and wood and carved my drumsticks myself. And then that was actually what I used to learn as a little kid until I borrowed a drum set from a friend. And that was my first drum kit. So all of us here in this conversation can try to go back and think of a time when that seed dropped when that seed was planted, and I'm talking about the music seed. So for me, sitting in a room with my brothers and playing on the computer and listening to Casey Kasem, and I remember Thompson Twins coming on, and I was like, what is this? What is that sound? And then somehow it kind of shifted over towards the cure. 
new order. And then my world just exploded. Nine inch nails, Bauhaus, all this stuff. So Keith, when did music begin to shape you as a person? When did you start to take notice? A couple of different phases. I played the piano when I was very young. There was a piano in the house and I was the youngest in the house. And I guess I was playing with it a little bit. So I was kind of chosen by my parents to take lessons. I did for you know a brief time. So that was the first time. I was probably be about 10 or 11. Kind of clued me into a little deeper than just listening songs. And that was right around, and I'm not afraid to admit this, Barry Manilow had a bunch of hits. So I remember learning Barry Manilow songs, who's got some great melodies in those songs. To this day, I'll still put it on. But that was the beginning of it. And then a short time later, my our brother-in-law, Glenn and I, our brother-in-law, he was about five or six years older, and he was into New Wave. So he was the first person that had these albums like Depeche Mode in the early 80s. And we were pretty young then. And then all these other albums, which, you know, I was from Barry Manilow to rock and roll. And you know, our uncle had influenced us with some of the local Philadelphia bands. But when it got into new wave and alternative rock, our brother-in-law was huge. And we just kind of jumped on board. And then I, right around that time, got the guitar heard a flock of seagulls, heard that little digital delay. And it was a whole different way of playing the guitar, which has really, you know, opened my mind to new order, like the completely different way of playing the guitar. And, and the fact that it's pretty, you know, pretty simple riffs, it made me think, oh, I can do this. I don't need to be a virtuoso and write or play. And it just made me think, you know, this is, this is a possibility, but that was really the kind of kernel of things from Manilow to new wave with my, my, uh, my uh, brother-in-law. Fascinating. Glenn, let's keep this momentum and energy going. Tell us about when music began to grab hold of you. My, my uncle was the first guy to get us started, but Steve, our, our brother-in-law, was the guy that turned us on to all of those early new wave bands from the Psychedelic Furs to The Cure to A Flock of Seagulls to bands like Stiff Little Fingers and, and, and every band in between to Pesh Mode. Without Steve, I forget to give him credit, Keith, in my brain, you know, sometimes, you know, without him, which who knows what direction we would have gone down. And then from there, we all, we developed all that stuff. Once we got in that mode, Smith's, Echo and the Bunny Men, all that stuff, we, we, we ran with ourselves. Like the Railway Children was a huge influence early on. But yeah, Steve, Keith, you're right. I forgot about him. You know? Oh, and Glenn, Glenn, one second. And don't forget our, our oldest brother, who's six years older than us. Now, he had a lot of albums like Cheap Trick, The Pretenders, yes. all that. But one, his new wave album, and it kind of stood out in his collection, was Gary Newman. So that was the first time I heard keyboards used that way. And at the time, I played piano. So it really was like, was like what is this music? You know, yeah. the song Cars. Well, you're right about Jeff. My first two concerts, I Keith didn't even Keith was younger than me, so he didn't even go. First two, first two Pretenders, first tour, Tower Theater, nineteen eighty, Cheap Trick, Dream Police Tour, nineteen eighty. Yeah. And then we went more into that modern rock, new wave kind of thing. All right, David, let's go to you. So, a couple of quick moments. One, Bohemian Rhapsody. 
when I first heard that 45 that my brother had, I used to constantly just stand in front of a mirror with a, you know, with, with a tennis racket and sing it and play the solo air, play the solo. I was just like, so taken with what that thing was. It was just unbelievable. But then as I got a little bit older, I saw Sunday, bloody Sunday by U2 on MTV, the live version. And that was just like, something went off in my head and I was just done from there. You know, just music, music, music. I was obsessed and I guess I still am. Okay, Tim, circle jerks, then what? <laughs> no, for me, actually, you know, going back earlier than that, it was the police for sure, 100%. My sister was five or six years older than me and had Zenyatta Mandata on vinyl. And anything, I was just, I wanted to hear music and, and anything that, I'm the youngest in my family. And so, and this was my oldest sister. So anything she had seemed weird and, you know, I, and cool. I didn't, I didn't know what it was. It could have been anything. It could have been Barry Manilow and I would have thought it was cool. Although Barry Manilow is cool, but, and so for sure, a hundred percent, it was that record though, that I think that intro to driven to tears and just the sound of that snare drum. I still, to this day, try to tune my drums to sound like that and that was something that i can still remember putting that record on and just like moving the needle back and listening to that fill again and all he's doing is just you know quarter notes on the snare drum but it's just so clean and it hits so hard and it's so simple i can just remember putting it back and listening to it again and then putting it back and listening to it again and knowing that that was that was all i really wanted to do Okay, Keith, talk to us about your, if you, if this would constitute a professional band, was there a professional band before Riverside that you were a part of? And if so, what was that musical experience like? And I want you to tell us the growing pains you went through as a musician. and How did that help you for further growth and development? Shortly after I first got a guitar, I was about 14 or 15, my cousin Mark had a keyboard. And we started jamming a little bit. And then out of that, Glenn got a bass. And Mark's brother, Andrew, got a guitar. So there was four of us, four family members, and then another drummer. So we were all in a band together when we were about 16, 17. We had no idea what we were doing. We loved New Order and bands like that. And the name of our band at that time was Blue Monday. You know, we were we were we were doing originals. We thought nobody else in the area would even know what that name meant, you know, from where we were from. Well, that was the beginning of it, where Glenn and I started figuring things out. You know, we're all writing together, figuring out what it meant to write a song. And then Glenn and I kind of moved on from that and just try to figure out a couple different projects. We had a different drummer for a little while. We had another keyboard player. And then uh, the really uh, big significant change was when I met Kenneth Jackson. And Kenny, who was a big part of Riverside and sadly passed away a few years ago. But I met Kenny when I was in my second year of college at Penn State. And he, he wasn't a musician yet. Yeah, Penn State Abington, the local campus. Kenny wasn't a musician yet, but we connected musically so much. 
And to me, it always meant you know, I wasn't as much of the kind of guy that would just want to randomly jam with people. I needed to be able to connect with them first before I could you know, try to work with them. And Kenny was like one of my closest friends. So I convinced him to learn how to play the guitar. And it just took off. He just like, he had no other real influence. He didn't know anybody who played the guitar. So it, all of a sudden it clicked. He got a guitar. And then once he started, he was all the way in. And he became such an integral part of the band and just a close. Uh, so. But Glenn knew Kenny well. I bet he was going to comment on that relationship. And we connected on a certain level that was, was different than our previous bands. We were a little bit older. We were a little bit better at musicians, had a little better understanding about the idea of writing songs. So that was a giant leap into the right direction. And we had uh, you know, connected with a, a drummer that was a competent drummer. And then we wound up switching to another drummer. And this guy was more invested in it. And we all were on the same page. So that kind of how things jumped around. But the significant thing was that meeting Kenny and having another guitar player that I could work with and Glenn could work with and we can write with. And it just, just motivated us to keep doing what we were doing. And that was Riverside. You know, it's changed some since then, you know, through the years. You know, you know, we used to play with our friend John Larish, who was a very good friend of mine, a different guitar player. Meeting Tim was a significant change where we kind of got things going again. We had a long break there for a while. And Dave, who wasn't in the band, actually introduced us to this guy, Tim Simmons, in Dave's house. Dave was in a different band, so we, we were jamming, jamming for a while. And then Dave jumped on board about, I guess, a little more than a year ago. I'm not sure if that makes a lot of sense how clear that was, but that's the story. Kenny was into all that same music that you and I loved back then. And that yeah. was the that was the key. Like you said, you weren't worried about his skills as a guitar player, but more so his influence and his ideas and his motivation to get us on this, the same path. What, would you agree, Keith? Yeah, we was we tried out many different guitar players and and there were people that could play and that we had some similar interests, but it's that that ability to be in a small room, the three or four of us for hours and be that intimate as you're trying to work together. It's such a, a rare connection that you you can find someone like that. So that's why it made the most sense to me to have Kenny learn how to play guitar. Without Kenny's influence or impact that first record record by the Riverside would sound much different, you know, for certain, you know. Glenn, how so? How would it sound differently? Well, Kenny was into all that. First of all, Keith's guitar initially was into that little bit of flock of single stuff, but then Keith and I were working on the basic kind of chords and melodies. That was what Keith and I were doing and lyrics for that first record. Kenny was just adding that textural kind of guitar stuff that was more influenced by more noisy bands than Keith and I. Keith and I were in like Smith's Cure Echo, which Kenny loved as well. But Kenny gave us a little bit of that ride, slow dive, shoegaze kind of thing that we weren't as affiliated with. But that combination is what made that first record so ethereal and, and so melodic. The combination of those things. Keith, you could speak to it. You know, you're probably more corny. The, the, what I think the thing would be, Kenny was hyper-focused on guitar and guitar sounds. I was yep. probably hyper-focused on the songwriting and chords, like Aztec Camera, Roddy Frame. 
He was yeah. one of my, my idols completely. And Kenny loved that kind of guy, but he wasn't trying to play guitar like him. He was trying to like, you know, be a little noisier. So it was a real nice combination. I w I had no goals of being the lead guitarist or anything like that. So Kenny was perfect to kind of to, to to fill that role. Keith, I just had an interview with John Douglas of Trash Can Sinatras. Oh my goodness. He cited Roddy Frame yeah. as influencer. <laughs> They're both Scottish bands. We actually got to open up for Trash Can Sinatras many, many, many years ago before we had a record deal. They're one of my favorite, favorite bands. The combination of beautiful guitars, beautiful voice by Frank and melodies and lyrics. I mean, they're top two or three all-time bands bands for me. And really inventive song arrangements those guys have too. So, so, so tasteful. Yeah. Thank you so much. David, what about you? What was your first band experience like and what kind of growing pains did you have to go through? Yeah, well, I think that, well, for me, I started taking guitar lessons and then two weeks later, I broke both of my arms. So that was my first trial. <laughs> and I was, so I was like, well, so much for that. But by the, by the time ninth grade rolled around and I got out of my casts, I had friends, really good friends who were into bands like The Alarm and U2 and The Cure and they needed they needed a bass player so i they had a bass so i'm like well i can play bass you know i play guitar so i might as well just play bass and so i spent a lot of high school playing bass in some bands i also played guitar in a reggae band but then when i when i sort of went went to college i really started to get more into kind of indie rock things like yola tango and pavement got it by voices and I wanted to do that. And so my first, so I have a band that's an on again, off again thing called Aquaport. And it's sort of in that vein, but I've been writing songs, I guess, since about college, kind of in that vein, power pop, indie rock, that sort of thing, noisy things. Sort of, and so I think actually that it's nice that I kind of come from a background. I also like punk. So I like bringing the noise to Riverside also, which is sort of, an homage to Kenny, I suppose. You just rattled off some fantastic bands, and I think Guided by Voices are breaking the world record as far as <laughs> albums released within a year. I know. He's got a gazillion songs. It's crazy. It's just crazy. And they're only getting better and better in my yeah. opinion. Thank you, David. All right, Tim, we go to you. Early band experiences. Well, this is where the, the, the circle jerks become important. But, you know, when you're... 13, 14 years old, and you can keep time on a drum set, you kind of play whatever everyone's into. And so it just so happened that the the guys, I grew up in, in Philly, and the, the kids that I hung out with, some of the more influential kids in the group were into punk. And so that was what I played. And that was kind of that, you know, kind of became what I knew. And then, you know, as I got older, and through high school, I kept playing and practicing and I used to practice obsessively. And the more I played and the more I practiced, the less into punk and metal I got and more into kind of being more adventurous. And by the time I was in college and I wasn't playing in any punk bands anymore, I started really getting into, you know, world music. And there's a, there's a Peter Gabriel album that was really influential for me. That it's the soundtrack to the last temptation of Christ. It's called passion. And that album really 
kind of changed my perspective on like what I wanted to sound like as a musician. And I started listening to a lot of soundtracks and a lot of jazz, really a lot of jazz, but a lot of European jazz and some of the kind of ECM jazz that came out of the seventies, Eberhard Weber and Oregon and David Darling and some of those, you know, kind of dreamy jazz sounds and, you know, thinking more atmospherically about the kind of music I was playing. So yeah, I guess I, you know, I, and I was also, also like a prog rock kid. If you grew up in Philly, you know, in, in the eighties, you could hear, you know, poison and yes, in the same set of songs on the local radio station, you know? And so I also grew up listening to a lot of, you know, King Crimson and Rush and Genesis and, and yes. And, and, you know, at one point in time had the giant drum kit with eight rack toms and, you know, and, and, you know, so all of that is kind of just this kind of big stew and really just listening to as much music as I possibly could and trying to play as much as I possibly could. And as a result, ending up in bands that were really diverse. I played in some punk bands. I've played in some metal bands, done some jazz, you know, kind of played all over. I love the diversity that I'm hearing from all of you as far as your experience. And we're going to move into the early stages of Riverside. So Keith, with Riverside, the early beginnings of it, did you guys have goals in mind? Did you have a vision? Did you have a plan? I think the idea pretty early on of getting a record deal seemed like a possibility for, for us. And there was a local Philadelphia band, rock band called the A's, and they had some success. And they were friends with my uh, with my uncle, my Uncle Greg again. So we kind of saw, okay, that's a band, guys from around here, major label. And it just seemed like a realistic goal. And we we're having a lot of fun with it. And I think from early on, we were just taking it very seriously. I was, I used to be, you know, a baseball player in high school and college. And all of a sudden things shifted from baseball to music 100%. And it was just a complete passion. And then we got to know the guys from the Ocean Blue before they had their record deal. And then we witnessed firsthand the stages of how they had a manager got contacted with you know sire warner brothers and got a record deal and we're like wow and we saw like this can happen so it all, it all motivated me i know that i you know, think it was a real possibility glenn would you like to add anything to what keith just said regarding those formative years absolutely uh, keith spoke to it but the idea of being in a band and getting a record deal that was our goal and the A's, my uncle's bands, they're like 10 years older than us. So that wasn't really the same exact genre we were looking at. But then I happened to stumble upon the Ocean Blue with a buddy of mine. They're playing at J.C. Dobbs and they were just about to get signed. And they were our age and totally in this, from Pennsylvania in the same world we were looking at. And like once I got to know him like and and. That really locked us in. Even before that, though, Keith and I were motivated. We would interview other potential band members. Like, you have to be dedicated to this. We were very dedicated. Three times a week, we were rehearsing and writing songs constantly. The Ocean Blue getting signed 
was a trigger, I think, for us to realize that that, that could potentially happen. And, and, and Steve Lau from The Ocean Blue, my buddy from back then, he ended up producing our first record and really facilitating our entree into that opportunity to get a record deal. We were not a big, gigantic, local Philadelphia band like, like the Hooters or Robert Hazard or someone like that or Tommy Conwell that generated a lot of interest locally. That's not what triggered our deal. Our deal was the songs and the connections and doing some showcases for labels. But they were definitely, the Ocean Blue were definitely a motivation. They were our, and that's, they're a motivation. They were motivation back then. And they are still an inspiration to this day to continue our musical career. Because all we really pretty much do is play gigs with them. We do the same kind of fan base. And uh, we're not traveling around the country by ourselves, but we bounce around here and there. L.A. last year, Texas. We were in Austin, Texas the past few days playing with them. They have great fans. And their fan base is very similar to ours. So that's really what kind of started us off, the Ocean Blue, even more so than than everything else. And then help continue that, that love and that desire to keep doing it. It's been a long time. 30, 32 years, I think, since our first record. I don't know how, you know, how long has it been? I don't Thank you, Glenn. So, David, when did you hop on board with the band? Tell us about that entry. Yeah, I would say that was probably maybe a year ago from this past October. So I've been there around for about a year and a half. And Keith and I have been friends for a long time. Tim and I, friends and colleagues for a long time. And just was so happened. Well, Glenn, of, of course, <laughs> Glenn and I as well, <laughs> friends with all of them. And they needed a guitar player for a gig in California because other guitar player couldn't make it and said, hey, I think I probably prompted Tim because I knew this thing was happening in the background. Um, Tim was talking about being able to go to California and play at the region theater and and I'm like, oh, man, that's awesome. Then he's like, well, I don't think we're going to do it because I don't think they have one of the guitar, guitar player can't make it. So it's like, you know, Tim, you might let them know I'm I'm interested, you know. <laughs> and so I mean, I texted Keith and said, hey, you know, if you if you want want a guitarist, I'm interested. And that's kind of what happened. Jumped in from there and and been playing with Riverside ever since. And it's been a real pleasure because I've always loved their music. I did a little help with the recording once upon a time in my basement. We've been friends forever. So it's so it's just such a natural fit and a really a privilege. I gotta speak on that for one second. Dane did a fantastic job of stepping in last second for that LA gig. And literally we had our first rehearsal once we decided that other guy couldn't do it. Dave wants to do it. Dave showed up. Here are the 10 songs. He showed up at the rehearsal. We could have played the show that night. He was so prepared, <laughs> literally. And we only had about a month after that. But kudos to Dave for that fantastic preparation. So in the back of his mind, I'm sure he was pre- preparing a little bit at home, you know, to do it all, you know. But he came and delivered and delivered then. And and it's just the the other guitar player, John Laris, a great friend of ours too. He couldn't scheduling and all that kind of stuff just kind of falls by the wayside. So it's we 
this gradually transitioned completely from John to Dave. And Dave's done a fantastic job. And, and working on new songs, Dave's done a great job as well. I just wanted to say one other thing that I, I, mean, I don't even remember if you texted me, Dave, about the L.A. thing. All I remember is calling you as my friend who played guitar. And I said, hey, would you want to come to California? And you said, yes. <laughs> there was no mulling it over there was no i mean he's he's a principal you know it's not an easy thing to just plug into your life but he just said yes boom and, and believe me i think i was on the fence about the show he was more enthusiastic than i was and it just kind of just made it you know that much better it just made, made it happen that's like par for the course we're always more enthusiastic than you are about the gigs <laughs> keith <laughs> guilty good decision dave I would say one of the better decisions in yeah. my life. How's that? So Dave's, besides the LA gig, he played a, a sold out show in Philadelphia suburbs with us. And then two shows recently in Texas that were in Austin, Texas, but practically sold out. And then we're going to come back to Philadelphia again and keep playing more shows. So we, we, we've able to step up the opportunity to play more gigs around the country with someone who's dedicated and devoted to the band as well. And it's not easy you know, with scheduling and everything, obviously it's not a full-time job for any of us at this point. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Glenn and David. Okay, Tim, when do the drums? So I started I started playing with these guys. We were just talking about this eight, 18 years ago. So I've been with them for a long time. And, you know, there's two reasons why I've stayed in this band for so long. The first reason is because of the songs. The songs are beautiful, and and I just love playing them. The first time we got together was at David's house, ironically, because David had a drum kit and a PA system, and and you're the one who connected us. And so we got together at your house with John and Keith and Glenn, and I remember we played Shoot Me Down, and that was the first song I played with you guys. And I remember waking up the next morning with that song stuck in my head. And like singing that chorus, you know, and being like, boy, that was, that was a really good song. Like, I really liked playing that song. So staying connected. And then the other reason is that, you know, I think, and I include John Larish in this too, but Keith and Glenn and David are just some of the nicest guys I've ever gotten to play with. And also Glenn and Keith in particular are two of the, the funniest people I know. And so <laughs> I really enjoy, you know, I, honestly, the main reason that like I so willingly travel with them and play with them and pretty much show up at any rehearsal we have and anything that, that they do I'm there just because I feel like we're such good friends and I just enjoy their company and we're playing these really beautiful songs. Keith writes uh, like an incredibly beautiful song, like every week. And so he's always got new songs and it's just, it's awesome. It's really great to be around. It's inspiring. And, you know, I'm a songwriter myself, but I, I, I feel like I've learned how to be a better songwriter from being in this band, for sure. How so? Well, you know, <laughs> here's a funny Glenn story. I told Glenn, I've told you this story, Glenn. When I first, when we first started writing the songs for Hire, and you know, I, I mentioned I've played, you know, metal and jazz and prog rock. And so I brought some of that to our, our early rehearsals when we were writing songs. And I'd have these little things that I would do. And Glenn would go, that's a cool part. I like that. Is that what you're going to play? <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, 
Well, I, I'm I'm charged with being that balancer and manipulator a little bit. That's great, but can we try something else? Yeah, and so I think I think what I've learned, I think you know, to answer your question, how so? How's my own songwriting gotten better? It's taught me, but just the beauty of simplicity and to focus on melodies. You know that the melody is really where the song lives, and so you know, thinking really carefully about about melody. And and what are you doing to support that melody? And that's something that I think Keith and Glenn, you guys do really well. And and David, you've brought a lot of of that also to this mix too. The Andy Pastelanic from Chime School just spoke of melody and how important. And Ricardo Fiel from Moon Cowboy spoke about melody. So I keep hearing that that word repeated over and over again. So Keith. With this Kickstarter campaign, which is the reissue of the one album that for me and probably for most people was the entryway, like I mentioned earlier, 120 minutes, that amazing experience where alternative music, underground music became right there in front of our eyes. Well, of course, we're talking about Waterfall in the video. So you had songs of James, Galaxy, Cinnamon Eyes. What took so long to get this on vinyl? And tell us about this campaign to provide your fans this real special treatment for the one vinyl release. It's uh, probably because of Dave Calamaro. Him entering the band kind of rejuvenated us and things like this reissuing uh, the first album on vinyl it's something we had looked into a little while ago before Dave was in the band but there was a lot of a lot, a lot of problems with that Warner Brothers owns those recordings and I think we kind of looked into it a little bit and it just was a bit of a bunch of a headache and how much would it cost are we going to make our money back but Dave a little while ago got us connected with you know, the right people to make that happen. And the ball just started rolling. So I, I was definitely been on the backseat with that process. And Dave's, you know, kind of saying, hey, you guys should do this. It'll be a great idea. It'd be a great thing for the band. But that, that's that's pretty much it. And then this Kickstarter program started, I guess it's been a week now or two weeks. Yeah, eight days. Eight days. Yeah. We, just- we, we, we need to give credit. Dave was the inspiration here for sure, and connected with the label, Lost in Ohio is this small record company that reissues stuff. And Bill Spry from that label has done a fantastic job of just saying, because Keith and I are like, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. And we don't want to really do any of the legwork. Bill's done all of that. And Steve Leo, who's our social media guy, and also is our lighting director for the Ocean Blue and for Riverside, is taking care of all that stuff. So those two guys, Dave starting it, but Bill and Steve ran with it. Absent those two guys, it never would have happened. So the, the fans are out there funding it. And we're just, I think we're about a few hundred dollars away from maxing the funding to make sure this vinyl thing, but we're going to try and do other records on, on, on vinyl as well too. Without those two guys, Keith, never happens. Never happened. <laughs> Keith wasn't doing it. I wasn't doing it. We're working on the no, music well, and everything else too. And, and just 
the, the logistics and legwork for all that stuff, you know, we need podcast, you know, thanks W for reaching out for us. This, you know, it's like, it's a hassle. Really. It's a lot of hassle to coordinate, getting this stuff, things together and sending you what you need and getting us all on the same page. And Keith and I really, you know, we've kind of neglected that aspect of this world. And we didn't grow up with the band initially with this internet world and all that. But it's a reality. If you want to get your stuff out there, it's fun, actually, too. I'm happy to talk to you. Dave and, and Tim and, and Keith, we're all happy to do these kind of things. Um, but we have to take a little bit of an effort on our own um, part to make it happen. Go ahead, David. Yeah, I just wanted to say, you know, just to, how music really kind of connects us. I want to shout out the band, The Julies, because they're on Lost in Ohio. They released their, fir- their first full-length album. They're a band that goes way back into the 90s that I'm familiar with. But they released their first al- first album on Lost in Ohio. And I was just really taken with the album and how it sounded. I knew sort of where they recorded it. And I was familiar with the Julies back in the day and talked to to Chris, who's sort of the main guy behind the Julies. We sort of emailed back and forth and reacquainted. And you know, that's sort of how why I just emailed Lost in Ohio and just sort of on a whim say, hey, are you interested at all in Riverside? And then conversation with Bill struck up from there. And then, like Glenn said, Bill just ran with it, and we're really thankful. Yeah. Like Dave was ready to go for that LA gig and did all this stuff too. So that's why we've welcomed him as a longtime friend and full time member of the, of the band. You know, he's fantastic. So, this question is for anybody. Besides the beautiful vinyl treatment, are there additional items that are going to be part of this? So I'll speak to that a little bit. So there are lots of different options. So the Kickstarter, you know, we have the we have blue vinyl, yellow vinyl, t-shirts, posters, our second CD, Riverside Taste, and test pressings, which already sold out, I think. So there's some initial test. Pre- I don't think we get those things, but you know, we can only sell like so many of those to fans. They did that. There's an associate producer kind of thing, your name listed in the liner notes. All those things are been funded fantastically by all of our fans. And there is one thing, which I can't even recall exactly what the details of it are, but if you wanted to hire Riverside to come play a private local gig in your home within five-hour drive, and we did it years ago to a Connecticut show, you could hire us to do that. So that no one's funded that but there's lots of different combinations and that's the kind of thing that bill spry from Lawson, ohio has done a fantastic job of saying i kind of know what these things are to try and encourage folks to put money up front to fund that and then we're gonna once it gets funded he's gonna trigger all the manufacturing so folks will get all their t-shirts vinyl cds posters asap you know, so he has all that stuff in place. Am I missing something, guys? There was drummer does odd jobs around your house. Okay. <laughs> we thought of <laughs> how about our children? We hired our kids <laughs> to do that, right? You know, but yeah, so I we, there's lots of different options. So if you were to go to Kickstarter and then search Riverside, I'm, I'm sure Bill, you have a link to that. I'm not Bill, I'm sorry, W, you have a link to that. You could put that in this podcast and uh, Steve Leo, our, our, our social media guy will send you whatever you need, but 
lots of opportunities for different unique things, you know, and autograph anything anybody ever wants to get autographed, you know, people like that. If they don't, no big deal. Well, I'm actually on the Kickstarter website here and it looks like it says 23 days to go and you're doing quite well. <laughs> so fantastic. Congrats to all of you and everybody that you had mentioned, Glenn. Yeah, I, we had no idea how well it would do. Yeah. Right. Well, can I, I just want to, I want to also give a shout out to these Riverside fans who are just so amazing. And, you know, all these shows that we've played, just people have really responded to in particular to this first record, but also know the other two records and know the music, I think sometimes better than we do. And just have been, it's just, that's been also one of the joys is just seeing how much the, the music matters. And, you know, W you asked about uh, music that's been influential to us and having conversations at shows with people who say, Oh, you know, the first time I heard your first CD, it, it, it meant this to me. And of course I wasn't on that CD, but still just to be part of that and to know these people and to be able to relate to them and say, yeah, I know how you feel. I know what you mean. That's been really amazing. So I definitely want to give a shout out to the Riverside fans. Tim, great point. And it was funny, Keith, I think I, you met some folks in Austin. There was a woman we met who loved the record and they couldn't find it in the record stores. And she worked in a college radio station. I forget the deal. That's she, right. She, she stole the CD from her college radio station. Yeah. And she couldn't find it somewhere. That, when, we, when we meet fans like that at all of our shows, that is it sounds like tim wasn't even on that record but still we try and get dave and tim into those fo group photos and to meet those fans because it really is you know heartwarming yeah meet those folks and to connect with them and we are before shows during the shows while the ocean blur playing we're hanging out with fans and after shows we love that in la we we pulled up la dave's first gig we pull up outside the venue and there's 20 fans out there waiting to swim our van with auto for autographs and all that kind of stuff. If people don't think that matters, that still matters. That's still a something that most people don't get a chance to experience, you know, and that's, that's something that you, you go to uh, your, your grave with, you know, I hate to say it that way, but that's, that's an awesome experience. And, it, and we still appreciate every single solitary opportunity to do that. I get a sense this is why so many people revere and embrace what you guys do. And we talked about this earlier. It's the human connection that you provide and that you share and that you reach out to. And there's a lot of, I see and feel a lot of kindness and there's nothing braggadocious about what you do. So keep doing that. Okay, we're going to take all that good feeling, and now we're going to move into the final portion of this conversation. This is more of a spirited, fun, fresh take on the artists get to share an album or two that really had an impact on their life. So, Keith, we're going to start with you. Tell us one to two albums that really has stood the test of time, in your opinion. Aztec Camera. Probably their first two albums or three albums. Second album's Knife. First album's probably the second album, Knife, more than anything. But just Roddy Frame, 
the songwriter that, that he that he is, his voice, everything about it. It just was just you know spectacular music. All the Smiths albums, you know, hearing this charming man for the first time. I think Glenn probably played it for me. He heard it somewhere. There was a record store. There was a period of time where I think I could even listen to the Smiths because it made me so jealous to how great they were. It was just, you know, right when I was, when we were trying to, to you know, write when we were, you know, when we were a little bit younger, Trash Can Sinatras, The Railway Children. Those are probably some of my favorite. Lloyd Cole and the Commotions, Lloyd Cole. I could go on, but those are some of my favorites. Glenn, you're up. All right. I'm, I made it back in time. So Keith probably mentioned a lot of the bands, but as, as far as showing record, I have. There been, we go. That's just what I just, I just said that. You said, but you have the vinyl handy now? No, I don't. <laughs> okay. It's Astro Camera Knife. This is one of the best things, one of the best gigs ever seen. Haverford College, live, Roddy Frame, insane. Okay. And then the Railway Children, Keith probably mentioned those guys. I can't, yeah. I couldn't find the vinyl. I have 20 different singles from them. I don't think I have this on vinyl. I couldn't find it downstairs in my basement, though. But Re- Recurrence, second record by the Railway. Smiths, Echo, Cure, all those bands, you know, they're all fantastic. You know, you can't go wrong with all those things. I pass it on to Dave. Oh, so good. All right, Dave. You know, this is this is one of those questions where you could go on and on. I'll, I'll speak to like what I call like the holy trinity of Matador Records, and that's guided by voices Yola Tango and Pavement, Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain by Pavement. Kind of really, that's what really launched me into wanting to to write songs the way I write songs. But I heard B Thousand by Guided by Voices. I was like, this is unbelievable. I had it was recorded all on a four track. And that sort of told me I can do this. I had a four track, you know. And then when I heard Yola Tango, who's really just my favorite, I can hear the heart beating as one. That album is just to me an absolute masterpiece from beginning to end. So th- that's sort of where where I come from. Then I could go on, but I feel like we need another two hours to talk about all this good stuff. David, those are some fantastic recommendations. All righty, Tim, we're going to end it with you. All right. Final word. Here we go. Clark Kent, baby. This is, uh, <laughs> I love this record. Uh, this is poor Copeland from the police and a solo record that he put out. And the reason, and I keep this out where I can see it. The reason I love this record is because one, it's just such a silly record Two. He plays all the instruments on it. And as a young kid, that was really inspirational to me. And that was something that I always wanted to be able to do myself is have a home studio, play all the instruments and make my own goofy music my own way. And the other thing that I love about it is that you can really hear his voice, his musical voice and his aesthetic really kind of bleeds through. And, you know, it's just it's just such a quirky record. I just love it. I've always loved it ever since I was a young kid. And then I'd say the other artist that has been really important to me is not a drummer, is a, is a guitar player, is Nick Drake. And, you know, in my 20s, the album Brighter Later just really, really kind of changed my life. I mean, that was an album that when my father passed away, I just listened to over and over and over again, in particular, Northern Sky. And that's I think that's John Cale playing keyboards on that. 
and uh, Danny Thompson playing bass. I think it's Danny Thompson playing bass. I'm pretty sure. But just the playing on that, the guitar playing on it, and the the simplicity of the songwriting, and the ways in which he used really clever tunings was something that really inspired me. Check out the documentary that came out in the early 2000s. It's like 35 minutes long about Nick Drake. I can send you the information. Glad you brought him up. All righty. Yeah, there are so many influential albums. Great selection, guys. Thank you so much. We are going to wrap it up with this final question. What is next for the band? How can people find your work? Anything else you want to share? Keith or Glenn? I'll chime in, Keith, real quick. Our our next live show performance is in Ardmore, Pennsylvania at the Ardmore Music Hall. We're playing with the Ocean Blue again, our best pals. We have to give them much credit. You know, they really helped us. We play only play gigs with them because they're great gigs and they really motivate us, inspire us to keep getting moving forward with all of our music. We're also working on Besides the Kickstarter stuff, so that's vinyl and all that Kickstarter, we talked about that. Work on a new record. So we have a bunch of recordings, a bunch of songs. We probably have 20 songs and started to record two or three of them. It does take a while to get those things completed, given the fact that we all have lives, you know, to, 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 to deal with. So anybody can find us on and the weird one last thing we haven't talked about yet is this name scenario. So we were Riverside from 1991 on and then with Warner Brothers. And then about 2001, there, there happened to be this other band from Poland, this Polish progressive rock band with the same name, causing some difficulty. And the coincidence is that Keith and I are half Polish. Okay. <laughs> okay. And we got these Polish progressive rock guys coming there stealing our name it's caused lots of confusion so some fans might now we so our most recent release digitally we put riverside usa so we're kind of combating that the riverside one vinyl it's gonna be riverside but it's a headache that it's we never thought about it back in the day that it would be such a confusing scenario but to all band members out there or kids who are trying to form band Get a unique name so you never have to run into these headaches there. So Riverside One's going to come out in vinyl. It's going to get funded. It probably should be released by June or July or August, but you can pre-order it in advance. Gig there in August at our, our September at Ardmore Music Theater. And hopefully anywhere else the Ocean Blue will have us or potentially gigs on our own in the, in the meantime. Guys, am I missing anything with what's going on? Yeah. I think there's a North Carolina possibility maybe in October, but I'm not counting our chickens before they're hatched. And, hmm. and just real quick props to Tim, our, our, our drummer and musician extraordinaire. He has lots of his own projects. He writes books and puts out music. Tim, want to give a quick shout out to your stuff? Yeah. Thanks Glenn. Well, you know, I mean, we all put out music, but yeah. So I've got a book that's really connected with my educational work. Uh, it's called Seraphine finds a song. It's a children's book about a young girl who uh, learns about melody from wolves and rhythm from insects and harmony from whales. And from her experience in the natural world, learns to create a a song. And 
There's a curriculum that goes along with it. There's a soundtrack that goes along with it. The book has QR codes in it. Scan the QR codes. You can listen to the music as you read, and then you can act out the the story in music if you follow the curriculum. And that's all on my website. You can get it on my website at timothysimmons.net. And if anyone has a question, they could always reach out to our Instagram to Steve Leo handles all that, and we'll forward that information to you, Tim. Dave, Aquaport still kind of around or not really much? You're focused on Riverside? Focused on Riverside. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> all right. Keith, do you have a side project behind the scenes or no? Nope. Okay. Last thing, Keith's son is a minor league pitcher in the Angels organization. So look out for him. His name is Jack Kahanowitz. My son's a high school college pitcher, Cole Kahanowitz. Look out for him one day in the future. But we didn't get into baseball. You know, that's the one thing we missed. We didn't have enough time. All righty. Yes, time. As I used to say in the classroom to my students, time is your best friend. Time is your worst enemy. Unfortunately, we're out of time here. Keith, Glenn, David, Tim, Riverside, everyone else involved in this Kickstarter campaign. This has been a fabulous conversation. Thank you so much for taking your precious time to be part of this brand new podcast called Surprise Cast. I'm greatly appreciative. and. I know you're going to not only reach your mark, go well beyond. And again, I'll come back into this reoccurring theme of attributes that I want to toss out of what I've learned about all of you is that you're very kind, you're generous, you're caring, you're thoughtful. Obviously, you're very creative at what you do and talented. So I know you continue to have a a great future ahead. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Great time. My name is W, host of the High Art on the Edge page. That was Surprise Cast with Riverside. Thank you so much. Keep listening to great music. It's always right in front of you. You just have to listen for it. Ciao. want to try to make you so